Welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing this week, sir? Cade, I'm doing great because fall camp is fully underway, and we are so close to that first football game versus Central Arkansas. What about you? I'm doing great, uh, and for very similar reasons. I, you know, Usually, this is uh, an exciting time of year. Even just fall camp, notwithstanding, like you know, football is right around the corner. I just looked at my calendar. Week zero is two and a half weeks away. We have two podcasts plus this one until there's college football on the TV. So I'll take that. But is there anything going on in the college football world today that, you know, jumps out at you? Because it's been kind of boring out there. Cade, actually, this is probably why I'm even a better mood than normal. It sounds like, at least as far as the Big 12 is concerned, <laughs> maybe conference realignment is done for a second. Maybe just a second, <laughs> but it, at least it's done for a second. I respect you for a lot of reasons, but one of them is your, your just staunch dislike for col- uh, football realignment. And I don't blame you because it sucks. And uh, it's, you know, we don't have to go deep into it, but obviously it's one of the major stories of the day. The dust settles from last week with Oregon, Washington going to the Pac-12. I'm I'm sorry, going to the Big Ten from the Pac-12. And then the four corner schools officially join the Big 12, which feels like it's been a conversation for what, the last three years now, it seems like, Dustin. And so, you know, it's not even over. Like there's conversations about SMU joining the ACC this afternoon as, you know, I look at Twitter and it's like, I, I am I am coming to your side of things. I'm like, can we just be done with this? Like, it's over. Let's just be done. Well, the thing is, Kate, it, it's kind of turned into more of a bit between me and you. <laughs> my my hate for it. it. Really, truly, what I think is annoying is the rumors because we've seen throughout this entire process that nobody knows anything. I think until you're spot Brett on. Murphy. And and I honestly, Jason Shear for Arizona oh, two four seven has been doing a great job. But until one of those guys say something is fact, it, you don't know. Nobody knows. We, we've seen people get even big time ESPN get proven wrong and have to recant their statement. So that's the part that I just get tired of. Even though I you know I love rumors as far as recruiting and things like that go. But now that it's finally the dust has settled, I, I do love. Of talking about it and i'm excited i mean kid i think you are too i, I love having those four schools in I, I would have loved to have oregon and washington bigger brands there but i think this is the next best thing as far as realignment goes the pac-12 is dead which is hilarious yeah and the big 12 as you as you and i kind of thought from the beginning as mike gundy thought from the beginning or should i say nostradamus thought from the beginning <laughs> oklahoma state's okay and that's all i care about yeah, and that's a really good way to sum it up. I want to go back real quick because you mentioned something. Yeah, yeah. Real quick, I want to, I want your point, but 
we didn't talk about this off air, so I'm going to throw this at you on air. We got a couple of questions kind of related to this. So after your point, do you want to just hit a couple of these real quick? So we'll I think, it, I think now is the realignment discussion. Sorry and, about we, that. <laughs> and we are done with it for the rest of the week and hopefully for the rest of the season. But what I was going to say was to your point about what uh, it was not a banner day for college football reporting. And the Oregon and Washington, you know, rumor that they were going to sign the Pac-12 grant of rights. I tweeted it out and I, I fully believed when I saw that, that that was a bunch of nothing. That was a PR play from Oregon and Washington to force the Big Ten's hand. And what really is disappointing about it, and I get it, every reporter is trying to break the story. And I think that's part of your point, Dustin, is like, can somebody like shut their mouth before they actually have anything good to say, which really was Brett McMurphy and Jason Shear. Like you are, you're dead on. Those were the guys, but everybody else is like, you know, getting rope-a-doped by Oregon and Washington saying, we're going to sign the PAC 12 grant of rights. And I said the big 10 or big 12 is going to 18 before that ever happens. Oregon and Washington would have been in the big 12 before they signed that. So a banner day for the Oregon and Washington PR teams and not a banner day for most college football reporters. So I fully agree with you, Dustin. That was one of my least favorite parts about all of it. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And, and now there's rumors coming out that like proving exactly what you said that a president from either Oregon or Washington was like, yeah, we were never, we were never going to do that. Because it was a terrible offer. There was no way that was going to happen. Anyway, Dustin, let's get Uh, to the questions. Yeah. I know we don't normally do this, but I thought it would be weird to hit this now and come back to these questions way later. Cause obviously the fall camp, extreme camp notes, message board notes will kind of take up the bulk of the podcast here in a minute. So first one is from our guy, Brandon Ramos at Brandon Ramos. Thanks Brandon for the question. He always sends great ones in pump that I can watch OSU here in Arizona a few times a year. Now he obviously lives in Arizona with the city success, hosting the super bowl waste management, et cetera. Can you guys see the big 12 conference tourneys championships, other events possibly being hosted here in the future? That is a great question from Brandon. It's one that's been like floated out there on Twitter. And I, I am open to most things, but transplanting a conference tournament or a championship game to be really hyper-local to what, two schools? I mean, I guess Utah and BYU would be closer, but that's really four of your 16 schools. Whereas if you put the Big 12 tournament in Kansas City, I mean, you're talking... Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, uh, Colorado's not a, that's an easy flight. So I do think that the Big 12 championship game could, I could totally see that moving. Now, I think it fits perfectly in Dallas, especially if you want to maintain that kind of like middle America identity. But the reality is, Dustin, that the Big 12 moved west. So this is a kind of, Western America conference with the exception of Cincinnati, West Virginia, and UCF. And I already said at some point, I bet that they're in the big 10 or ACC or whatever that looks like. So it's a great question. Dustin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I think you could do something now. Again, I don't know how the money and everything works. This could be a dumb idea from that standpoint, but just as far as location standpoint, you could move the game like say it's the football game, maybe it's in Dallas for three years and then it's in Phoenix for three years in Houston, kind of rotating around. Also, you could kind of break it up by sports. I agree with you though. I love the Phoenix area. I do think it would be, you know, kind of not centralized, obviously with the Florida 
with UCF, Cincinnati, mm-hmm. West Virginia. If you moved it all the way over to Arizona, you'd probably want to do a Houston, Dallas, KC type of thing. Right. But I, I do love Phoenix, and I do think it would be fun to kind of move it around. So I think I'm on board with you. Yeah, I think you need to keep it in the I-35 corridor, if I'm being totally honest. Like, if you look at Las Vegas being the site for the Pac-12 championship game, it makes a ton of sense because it's in the middle of Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, not a far drive from the Cal, USC, Stanford. Like, that makes a ton of sense. I think moving everything out West doesn't make a lot of sense for the big 12. What I will also say is if you have not been to the big 12 championship game or the big 12 tournament in basketball, I don't think you can fully understand why they are where they are now because the, the basketball tournament in Kansas city is a gym and that whole, you know, kind of square block is set up really to be the perfect spot for something like that. So Phoenix or any other host city, Houston would have to make a pretty compelling case, I would think, for them to move that. Yeah, completely agree. Love great the question, question though, Brandon. Yeah. It, anything like that is always a fun That's awesome. topic yeah. with this new conference realignment. Uh, Flash at Ryan Flash Polar, thanks so much for the question. He says, or he asks, what would be your power ranking of the top five football brands in the Big 12 after we had the PAC schools next year? Kate, I, I wanted to, when I was thinking about this, when I saw this question and I wanted to get your thoughts on kind of my thinking on it, I almost think you have to put, if we're talking football only, and that's what Flash says in his question, I almost think you have to include Utah and TCU from a recency bias standpoint. Yeah, totally. If you're asking that right now. So I think those two are in on mine and yours. Is that correct? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, and this could be up for debate, but historically, and just names that kind of are tied to this school, the brand, the big Y on the helmet, Absolutely. you know, Steve Young, Ty Detmer. We talked about some of these guys recently. I think BYU's got to be in there. Yeah, I think from a brand perspective, they have one of the biggest fan bases in college football. I think BYU's probably number one if you're just talking yeah. about it from a logo recognition, like the way Texas is number one in the current Big 12. I think you're dead on with that. Then the next kind of category I was looking at was recent recent wins. And I think you got to go Oklahoma State. And I know we're biased, but in the Gundy era, with all the 10 win seasons, I I think they have just as much as not more wins than anybody in the conference, even adding the new teams. I think Utah would be the only rival to that. So I'm a Utah guy. I enjoy Kyle Whittingham and the way they play, frankly, because it reminds me a lot of Mike Gundy and they do a lot with less and their physical is all get out and they often punch up. So I really like Utah being in this conference. The problem is they were my number two go to like if they're on TV, I was watching them. I do think, though, if you're going to talk about like the last decade plus, Oklahoma State's got to be your number one. If you're talking more recently over the last three years, I don't see how you can put Oklahoma State ahead of TCU and Utah. TCU being a you know national championship appearance, Utah having won two Pac-12 championships in a row. But I do think Oklahoma State is, can you say they're third or are they fourth? Because are they behind yeah. Baylor in that regard? I don't know. It's almost it's almost so difficult to power rank, or for yeah. me anyway, 
it's almost like picking the five is even difficult. And just throw them in a bucket and <laughs> however they come out. I agree with you, actually. And sorry, Flash, I know we're not really answering it like that. And I kind of took us in this weird direction. But really, I think it would be hard. I could see an argument against Oklahoma State. I could see an argument against TCU. But I think it's hard to argue those four. Where I was having trouble was with number five. I Baylor, could. I would probably give it to a lean to Kansas State, State. Just, just with like the recent Big 12 title. They haven't been bad in a long time. They've won a lot of bowl games. Baylor, you know, followed up a Big 12 title season with nearly a losing record. So it's like I, I, I do think that K-State would be that fifth one for me. But again, it, it is a lot of recency bias because a lot of these teams have won big recently. So I think it's tough. Like, I think you could put Oklahoma State as low as like, if you ask somebody from uh, Cincinnati, who's not as plugged in with this conference, you might get them to put Oklahoma State at six and Cincinnati at five because of their playoff appearance. So, yeah, I think that this conference. Yeah, go ahead, Dustin. I was going to say the the other issue with Baylor is if we're talking kind of recency Gundy era, that time frame, if we want to go back like that far, like mid 2000s, a lot of Baylor success is tied to those Bryles years. Yeah, totally. And I know we're talking about brand on field, but you almost have to account for that and drop them because of that, because that's what people think of when they think of those years. So. I would absolutely say from a brand management standpoint, which I do for a living, yeah, Baylor's brand took a pretty big hit that day. <laughs> they haven't yeah, necessarily so, rebounded either. So so I think I think BYU, Oklahoma State, TCU, Utah, and K-State, I feel pretty good with that five. Yeah, I, I think Maybe so. Maybe not too. in that order, but that yeah. five. Honestly, mix them up however you want, and it makes sense. So Yeah. But let us know your thoughts on that too on Twitter. Reach out yeah, to us for sure question. because that's definitely an interesting topic with these new teams added. What is it? Well, okay. real quick, Dustin. Sorry. What's your thoughts on Utah? I mean, you, do you watch much of them? Because they they give me OSU vibes. I do when it's a bigger game. Yeah, I'm just, not normally what, like flipping Utah. And uh, one thing, if they're playing late, Pac-12 after after dark. Oh, you know, I'm rest in peace. Yeah. Then yes, I will be watching Utah over other Pac-12 teams yeah, for sure. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, I agree. I like Utah as well. Um, The last one of questions related to kind of conference realignment. What city stadium of the new members of the Big 12 are you most excited to visit, including the four teams this year and the four next year? I I can flip it to UK. Obviously, one of them for me is Arizona State because that'll be this year. I'm excited about that one. I love that area, which I said, and I haven't been to kind of the campus at Arizona State and Tempe. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to hear your report on that. I have been to that stadium. I won't say why or what I was watching there. Um, It was a football game, but it wasn't an Oklahoma State football game. But what I will say, um, I think it's Salt Lake City and Utah for me. I I just, I would love to see, you know, BYU for similar reasons, but Utah's stadium is is kind of unique and it looks super steep and I want to I want to experience that in a big night game. So I, I I'll go with Utah with a close runner up being, you know, uh Colorado in Folsom Field. I've yeah. never been out there. The Salt Lake City Park City area is awesome. We went there a couple of years ago for my wife's birthday and it w- with some friends and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I've never been but I've heard fantastic things. Awesome. Well, Cade, that I think Went pretty well. We knocked out some questions. Sorry for the 
change of agenda last minute, but I thought that was good convo in conference realignment. I yeah, I love getting to do that with you, even though it's kind of off the beaten path from what we normally do. I do like, you know, poking around and seeing what you think. So it's fun. And I said it was good convo. I had fun talking to you about it. The <laughs> listeners may have a completely different opinion on if that was. Yeah, good and you can skip to right now if you're ready for other content. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Cade, let's hit a couple of quick NFL notes like we did, like we've been doing. Obviously, this will kind of go away unless there's any big news once we get into football season. But you and I, both big NFL fans, both big former folks, Cowboys and the NFL fans. So I wanted to hit a couple of these. First note, just real quick. We mentioned this last week when we went through the list of guys in the NFL. Josh Sills, who was kind of undergoing some, he was in trial and everything for the rape and kidnapping charges. Those were acquitted. So he actually is back with the Eagles and he should be back practicing and activated pretty soon. It sounds like he's going to be playing guard for them in a kind of reserve role. It seems like he may make the team. So that will kind of keep track on if he stays with the Eagles long-term or what kind of goes on there. We know they have a really good offensive line, so we'll keep an eye on that. But did just want to mention it because he, we said we weren't sure if he was on the right. team or not, and now he is back after getting acquitted. One thing I wanted to note about Tyler Lacey in Jags camp, if you search Tyler Lacey on Twitter <laughs> in anything Jaguars related, all of the Jacksonville Jaguars beat writers, all er, Everybody in their media is raving about this guy. I guess he's gotten multiple, you know, potential sacks because they're not hitting the quarterback in camp, but the coaches have been raving about him. I don't think he's going to be someone that kind of starts next year, like we saw Malcolm Rodriguez do, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got in the defensive line rotation as the season moved along and he could be somebody that makes some big plays in the preseason. Well, to our credit, we said last year at around this time that Tyler Lacey was probably Oklahoma State's best shot at a contributing pro going into this season. So, Dustin, I'll hand you your flowers if you'll hand me mine because uh, we were pretty <laughs> dead on with that. Yeah, I, I, some of the here's some quotes from some of the coaches like going into camp after they drafted him, but saying Tyler Lacey was a big guy who played a small guy position in college. He was a big body, two hundred eighty pound guy that played. 4-3 defensive end, which I was like, oh, that's perfect because you don't draft 3-4 defensive ends. There are none in college. You see that body type, that athleticism, and you just imagine put 10 more pounds on him and don't let him lose the athleticism. And then what you got, and that's what stood out, talking about how he's performed so far at camp. So it's pretty awesome to see quotes like that about Tyler Lacey. Two other quick notes. The Rams signed John Johnson the third, safety, free agent. It's more guys in the room with Jason Taylor, don't love that, but I think Jace is still fighting for that spot, fighting to get some playing time there, but the Rams are kind of crowding that safety room up a little bit. And then this note is actually from a couple of weeks ago, but it's something I missed, so my apologies there. Matt Himbro, the Arizona Cardinals placed him on the IR, season-ending oh. injured reserve with a back injury. Whoa. So that's why we haven't heard a ton about Himbro as we've moved into camp. He's There's no competition because he's he's injured. We just talked about him last week, too. That's that's wild. Wish the best for him. A back injury, you said? Yeah, I actually haven't seen anybody report that as far as like a any of the OSU media outlets. It's something I saw on Twitter, followed up, and it was actually tweeted out by Arizona Cardinals official Twitter account that they made uh, some roster sucks. moves, and one of them was placing him on the season-ending injury reserve. 
Wow. Thanks for that update. We, again, just spoke about him last week is probably going to contribute, but you literally mentioned that, that we hadn't heard a lot about him. So it's a bummer. Yeah. So Cade, if you're ready, let's move into OSU football, fall camp, extreme camp notes. Do I queue up the music or no? Because I, <laughs> I actually don't want to wait any longer. So these notes are comprised of some of our friends, friends of the pod, actual friends who are at extreme camp. Anything that we've heard from player interviews, the OSU live media day, anything like that, anything on OSU Max, anything we've seen on the message boards from anyone we think we can trust, and anything from Robert Allen, because obviously he's been at not only the extreme camp practices, but every practice. So anything from Pokes Reporter that he said on the radio, kind of combine these all together and really just kind of reporting out the ones that we believe are true. A lot of them are coming from our kind of inside sources inside the camp. I've, I've so, got I've got one message board rumor, Dustin, that I don't agree with, and it's that my jokes are bad. <laughs> I I saw that rumor floating around somewhere. I just wanted to address that real quick before we got in here. Um, there, there were some great rivals comments this week about feels like forty five cat podcasts. Most of them positive, some negative. This one, the negative ones, were better than the positive ones. I forwarded straight to the complaint department, so you'll be hearing from from them. <laughs> So Kate, that might have been June, one of them, honestly. That yes. joke right there could have been one of them. <laughs> I think the commenter said I'm supposed to call you out on him, but I liked it. So okay, good. Thanks. Okay, so a couple just general notes, some cool stuff. Multiple NFL scouts were there at the extreme extreme camp practices. I know the, the New York Jets, Chicago Bears, New Orleans Saints. I think there were some others. Those are the ones I got confirmed. Gundy made a comment, Cade, that I'll throw it over to you on just to get your thoughts <laughs> that they might play multiple quarterbacks this season. And I think he meant to finish the C the sentence. We might play multiple quarterbacks against central Arkansas. Is that how it's, you took it? Well, it's the only way I took it because it's like, yeah, I bet at some point that Alan Bowman is not the only quarterback to take a snap. You guys, you got to know that that's coach speak and that it's also true. Like that is a true thing. Yeah, and I think there's kind of two things with that, and Kate, correct me if I'm wrong. One is Gundy loves trolling the media. He oh, loves kind of taking a jab at them that doesn't feel like a jab. That was one. <laughs> two, I think they're being very cautious about depth chart. It, it's something we've heard, just kind of releasing anything like that out into the media because of the transfer portal era. They don't want right. guys to transfer. Right. And and I know like the there's windows and everything like that, but – if a guy gets kind of negative, we could see that negativity bleed into the locker room like we heard so many rumors about, and we'll talk about probably a little later on with one of our questions, happened last season. And I think they're just completely trying to avoid that. I don't know if this is the best way to go about it, just kind of ignoring it totally. But I think that's part of that response about the multiple quarterback. Yeah, I love that point where, you know, in this era, you don't want to... um alienate somebody so quickly um and there's a lot of you know gamesmanship and back to gundy's kind of approach as like a ceo that's a pretty uh ceo like answer yeah we're going to play multiple quarterbacks and we're happy with what we've got next question yeah agreed uh one note i wanted to mention our guy robert allen we love him he has gone and i and i've done it on this podcast because i'm kind of just repeating what he's saying He's gone back and forth 
on if there's one scholarship open due to DeAndre Jackson leaving mm. the team, and there's not so many times when he had Todd Bradford on in the spring, Todd made it sound like there weren't any scholarships open. But Robert just wrote an article on Post Report that says there's 84 scholarship players reporting to camp. They can have 85. Wow. I was under the impression that DeAndre Jackson was on scholarship. I believe you were too. Mike Gundy, we confirmed it on here, but Mike Gundy was asked about it in one of these practice media sessions, after practice media sessions. He said he's not on the team. So I think there still is a scholarship open. I, I could be wrong, and that was not filled by Henry, the offensive line Juco guy that came in, because that was Caleb Etienne's scholarship. It's so confusing now because NIL is paying for some of these guys' scholarships and vice versa, so it's all over the place. I just wanted to note that he said 84 in a recent article. Could have been an error, but there could be one scholarship open. I have no idea. This late in the game, they probably hand that off to a, a high-performing walk-on, you think? Which would be cool. I, yeah, I would love absolutely. To see that. We've heard several linebackers are performing well. You know, We saw Kill Cabanis get the one. You maybe could even see one of the fullbacks that doesn't have one, yeah, so we'll kind of see how that, that goes. But uh, Thursday, so just back to kind of the extreme camp part, Thursday's practice this year was optional for extreme campers because they had to move the Friday practice up so early. So they were allowing them to come in even earlier on Thursday, check in and catch the end of practice. So some of the guys got to see the Thursday practice, which is pretty cool. You basically got an extra day. So an extra day than you originally paid for technically. So that's kind of cool. Sunday was an off day. The guys were back at it. Shoulder pads and helmets. So it was just kind of helmets, shirts, shorts until Friday. They put the shoulder pads on. And then today was the first day they went full pads. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Terry Miller was there. He got to talk to the extreme campers. I don't know if that was something that was kind of uh, advertised beforehand, but seeing Terry Miller and getting a presentation from Terry Miller is pretty awesome. That might be worth the price of extreme camp admission by itself. I would think so. Who spoke to you like, uh, you know, food and dining or, or what? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody. So, uh, <laughs> along with that, I, it was obviously the reason why they moved those practices up. I heard that they did some temperature checks at the times when practice was supposed to be. And the temperatures were way like numbers that don't sound real degrees Fahrenheit. So I'm glad that they moved it up because of that. And I think the last kind of note, Cade, before we go into our position group, so we're going to go offense by position groups and defense by position groups. Gundy was asked about who the leaders are on this team. The first name out of his mouth on that answer was Nick Martin, linebacker, Nick Martin. Thought that was pretty interesting. He also mentioned Xavier Benson, Preston Wilson, Jaden Bray, Jaden Nixon, Cody Walterscheid, but the first name he said was Nick Martin. Which is surprising, but we've talked about it's it's not the deepest position group by experience. He's probably thinking, I've got a shot to play early, you know, and rotate in. And, and to Xavier Benson, I've said that the move to a three-linebacker scheme is going to be good for him. I don't think you can be a vocal leader if you – played and i'm just this is not a shot at him it's more of i'm very optimistic about him this season i don't think the way he played last year lends him to be the guy the guy in the clubhouse so to speak but if he's backed it up in camp this year i love it because i do think this system sets up a lot better for him he struggled so much in space i think this is better yeah and 
I, I completely agree with you. It seems like his mindset is completely different. You know, he's even admitted that he was going through some things mentally last season. And we know he kind of went through that after his first season at Texas Tech. So seems like everything's cleared up. He seems like he's in a great mood. He's been one of the guys that's been yeah. interviewed after practice that they put up on OSU Max. So that was, it's been really cool to see. And even, even outside of the football aspect, it's great that you can tell that he's in a better spot mentally. 100% just off the field. So that's great. But Cade, I, I think we go ahead and get straight into the offense talking quarterbacks. One thing I was told not a ton of under center during the first practice where there was no shoulder pads, just the helmets. But then once they got the shoulder pads on a lot more under center, and it sounds like every play that they run out of the shotgun, they want to also be able to run under center. Oh, wow. So Cade, what that means is you may see, the exact same play, just under center. The the only difference there would be, you know, some of the timing, the footwork from the quarterback, the timing of some of the routes, if, it, if it's a pass play or play action. So that was pretty interesting to me. So it sounds like they are fully committed to running some of this offense under center. And I think it's going to be kind of a game-by-game, scheme-by-scheme, opponent-by-opponent decision on how little, how much under center they do, how little, how much zone versus gap they do. I think it's going to be really interesting, and it's going to make it selfishly, I think, really fun for me to chart these games. After yeah. Because it's going to be, you know, it gets kind of monotonous when you're on game 10 and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, outside there's inside zone, zone. Inside yeah. zone, outside zone, inside zone. Oh, cool. RPO I haven't seen or reverse. Yeah. But uh, this season, I think it's going to be a lot. I think we're going to see a lot of different things. Now, I don't know how many different overall plays they're going to have but with all the under center, with the gap and zone, with the different tags that will be on each play. I think it's going to feel like a big playbook, even if it's not truly. Well, and I mean, that's Mike Gundy's talked about this for a few years now, his desire to keep things simple. And I do think that going under center and mixing up just your groupings, not even really your personnel, but just the way guys are lined up. He has spoken openly about that on, you know, the podcast with Dave Hunziker. He's talked about it in post games, just his desire to make things easy on his guys and give the defense one more thing to think about. So this is another example of that. Yeah, I completely agree. As far as quarterbacks go, okay, back to that multiple quarterbacks comment. From our friends at Extreme Camp, from everything we've seen on the message boards, and straight from Robert Allen's mouth, Bowman is QB1, and it's yeah. not a competition. Yeah, Bowman yeah. is QB1. And the other, it sounds like Garrett Rangel has improved significantly. I know he's talked about, he was a guy that was interviewed recently. I think I saw Marshall Scott post his interview from the media day. Said he's put on 10 pounds. I know on the roster, I think it says like eight. We were thinking maybe like 15, but 10's a good start, especially if he's not going to be the starter this year. But he's looked good. I, I was told it's a pretty drastic improvement from guys that were at extreme camp last year to this year on kind of what he's been able to do. Gunnar Gundy, still kind of in the mix and a good number three QB to have because, and he can throw the ball too, but he's the fastest quarterback and the best runner of the quarterbacks on the roster. So it's always great when you have that added ability. We saw that with Spencer Sanders and apparently Zane Flores, he looks like a true freshman, but a really good one. So it, it's <laughs> great to kind of hear all of that. I know Gundy's got his favorite targets. 
I know he's been connecting a lot with Kale Cabanis for scores. Garrett Rangel and Alan Bowman have both been hitting Talon Shetron. Brennan Presley has been getting the ball a lot from those guys. Bowman seems to like to dump it down to the tight end as kind of that check down, which I I love Spencer Sanders. It took him pretty much his entire college career to get to that point. We've seen him connect with Josiah Johnson, dumping it down to Jaden Nixon. I believe the day at practice, Ollie Gordon got one of the first play first big plays was Ollie Gordon on a pass out of the backfield. So it's pretty awesome to see. It sounds like Bowman is completely in control. Kate, I know you've been listening to these player interviews. They have so much great stuff to say about him. He's been writing an NIL journal on Pokes report they did Xavier Benson last year, and I believe it was Danny Godleski the year before. No shots at Xavier or Danny. The two that Alan Bowman have put out, especially this last one, had they've been awesome. He's giving – all he wants to talk about is the other players and how good they've done. Hates talking about himself. Seems like a great leader. I know the guys that we talked to that were at Extreme Camp that hadn't seen him yet were very impressed by Bowman's play. And, Kate, I'm not trying to just – ram this hype train directly into a building but i don't know i don't know how to stop now yeah i mean everybody's talking about it and everything that continues to come out is that yeah well bowman dominated in seven on seven bowman didn't miss a throw he looks like he's in total control and i mean for really having only been here since the spring the only way that's possible is if you've been around this game for a long time which he has and I have seen the highlight. There is a highlight of him checking it down to the tight end and then hearing you say that verbally, that that's also a thing that's like happening more often gives me the warm fuzzies because we talked about it so often. It's just like Spencer, just kick it down to somebody and let them go make a play rather than you feel like you've got to create something. And Alan, it's a little different because he can't do what Spencer Sanders once was able to do. I just love it. I think it's going to open up a lot for this offense. I think what you lose with Spencer Sanders' legs, I think you're going to make up for with some of Alan Bowman's decision-making. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. On to the running backs. Cade, it sounds like Jaden Nixon is the first guy out there in drills. He's the first guy out there in seven-on-seven. He's the first guy out there in team I think game one against Central Arkansas, the first running back you're going to see out there is number three, Jaden Nixon. Everybody feel well. I mean, everybody's talking about him too, as a don't forget about him and and look out for a big year. I mean, the reality is he was you know the recipient of Oklahoma State's best run on the year. It was so bad at times that you can remember exactly which one it was against Texas. So yeah, I. I think it's okay. And the other part of it for me is like, I think this gap scheme does lend itself to a little bit of a um, more agile running back. I think one of my biggest questions is going to be, is he physical enough to handle what is going to be, I mean, what sounds like a pretty ground and pound at times type of approach. I think it's a thunder and lightning with him and Ollie Gordon, but I love going with lightning first. And then you bring in the big hitter with Ollie. So everything you just said, I I have heard as as well and agree with. And I, I think he unlocks a little bit throwing out of the backfield. I mean, we saw it multiple times last year where he was a true weapon out of the backfield. Oklahoma state doesn't win that game without him out there. I I believe that against Texas. I think the the only issue with Nixon and we saw it last year and 
you know, I think he's had a couple so far in fall camp is the drops. Mm-hmm. He definitely can get open. He's fast enough to get open. He knows how to run the routes. He's good with the timing. Just securing the ball when it's thrown to him is great. And on the flip side, I think his ball security is great as a running yeah. back. Apparently he got absolutely blasted. I think it was either today or yesterday by Nick Bar- Martin and fumbled it. But he, I, I don't believe he's fumbled until this moment. So he's great ball security there. And what you said about the agility, if he can, if he can show me some of that lateral side yeah, to side exactly. quickness, like he has with his straight line speed, then yes, I think, I think he can hold up. I, he's the same size as a Justice Hill. The thing was, Justice has never took any full shots because right. he was so good at moving side to side. So if Nixon can do that, I think that's the thing because in practice, it sounds like he's continuing to break off these big runs, not one a day, but I think four or five long runs for a touchdown already. If you do that in a game, one of those in a game is a complete game changer. It's obviously scores your points and it's completely demoralizing to the defense. And now they have to be paying so much attention to the fact that if they make one false move and open up a hole, miss one tackle, Jaden Nixon could be gone. Well, and that's the thing about him too, is like, I'm trying to think of where that lateral quickness in a gap, a pulling gap scheme makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking of like his ability in like a counter play. When you talk about lateral quickness and his ability to kind of bounce off that tackle that's pushing the opposite way and make that outside linebacker miss. I would, I've, I haven't seen these runs with my own eyes, but I would imagine that that's something that he's able to do fairly regularly just with his speed. And again, he does look like he's put some muscle on just from the highlights we've been able to see. So I'm, I am expecting, I, I actually texted my brother this. I am expecting Jaden Nixon to be the first guy out there uh, against Central Arkansas. Yeah. And personally, I know we talked about this and we got to see it to believe it, but I don't, just from what, the coaches are saying how the running backs are talking because Nixon and Ollie Gordon have both been interviewed. Ollie Gordon's been interviewed multiple times. He's great with the media. He always seems like he's having a good time. He's fun to listen to. Pokes, OSU Max, Pokespot actually just put out an interview with Ollie Gordon, which I think we got a question on and we'll get to later. But Ollie's been playing well too. And my point was, I kind of went off track there. I don't think it's going to be a Dominic Richardson, Jalen Warren takes 95% of the carries unless they're hurt. I think Ollie Gordon is going to get a lot of carries. So Jaden Nixon's going to be the, that's why I said Jaden Nixon's going to be the first guy out there, but I don't know if he's truly your first string running back. I think it's going to be a one, a one B type of thing. And I know we always get into this convo where we think it's going to be running back by committee, but I don't think there's any way you don't do that this year. Obviously you're going to feed the hot hand, but I think Ollie Gordon's going to get some carries and he's made some big plays in practice already. Like I said, the one today, and then Elijah Collins, the Michigan Michigan State transfer, he he's had a few scoring runs, and he's a guy that can run the zone scheme really well. So I think he'll be in the mix. I do think it'll be heavy Nixon, heavy Gordon, but I think Collins will be mixed in there. And then the incoming freshman from West High School in Utah, where Jalen Warren's from, Ceci Vahili, he's there now. The, Nixon couldn't stop talking about this guy the other day. This is a guy who has a recruit, Cade, and and I know I want to kick it back to you, and I want to hear your thoughts on Ollie Gordon and Elijah Collins, but just so I don't forget, this is a guy who was under-recruited because West asked him to play, and if you remember us talking about it on here, nine different positions on each side of the ball, 
So he didn't really get to truly display what he can do as a running back full time. And I think this is a guy you're going to need to watch for and a name you need to remember for the future. He is. It is one that has been kicked around there a little bit, isn't it? I, I was not expecting it. He was a guy that we were excited about, just had the measurables early on. Do you think he's a guy that can crack this rotation early, though? You think? I mean, you think he's going to play against UCA is probably my question. AC Dunn was actually asked about it, and he said he, said he thinks he's going to get out there. Wow. He said he thinks he, that, that they could use him. So we'll see. Obviously, you want to keep his red shirt because you've got three guys in front of him. But if there's injuries or anything like that, it sounds like from the little they've seen from summer workouts and through the six or whatever fall camp practice they've had so far, they really like him. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not surprised. He's a big kid. Last note before we move to wide receivers and tight ends. Bryce Drummond has moved to fullback. The walk-on, he's the uh, pioneer woman's son. He's moved <laughs> from tight end to fullback. And it sounds like he's been getting quite a bit of run as a walk-on. He's the transfer from North Texas. Braden Cassidy seems to be taking a majority of the snaps at fullback. You know, guys like Jake Schultz, Luke McIndoo, I think are in the mix there as well. I don't think they're going to get the ball a lot. Uh, obviously, we didn't see him get the ball a lot when they were cowboy backs. So... Not names that are going to pop out to you live, but on rewatch, I think they'll play a big role in the blocking run game. And I think you're going to see them go in motion a lot, which will be pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm just excited for a really a fullback, a tight end to wham block somebody. I've said it a few times. I'm just ready for some pre-snap whamming. All right, on to receivers and tight ends. The first note that I got texted, Alan Shetron is looking really good. Oh, wow. How does that make you feel? Well, it's a name that we have talked about as what if a lot this offseason because it is a loaded wide receiver room already. So the fact that that's the first guy uh, in your DMs is is pretty encouraging to me. It sounds like the receivers are kind of being moved all around. So I know the, the guys that are running with the ones, you've got Jaden Bray at Z. You've got Dejon Stribling, the Washington State transfer at X, but Talon Shetron is right on his heels. Shetron's a guy who we saw play both Z and X at times last season. Brennan Presley at the slot, the Y, and then when they go four wide, you'll see Blaine Green at that H spot. Behind those guys, obviously at X, I said Talon Shetron. Then you've got Rashad Owens behind Bray at Z. Rashad Owens also behind Blaine Green at H. I think Blaine Green will also be one of the X's when they go three wide that'll rotate in there with Shetron and Shribling. Behind Presley, I think you've got Arlen Bruce and Kale Cabanis. You can't keep Kale Cabanis off the field, Cade. That's why they gave him a scholarship. So it's going to be pretty interesting. Apparently, they're moving these guys all over, going four wide, three wide. They'll have a fullback and tight end out there, so they'll only have two receivers on the field at some times. Presley could be out there with the two receiver set as an outside guy. He could be inside. They're motioning guys all over the place. I'm sure we'll see a wide receiver lined up at H back every now and then, like we saw with Blaine Green and Rashad Owens when they kind of took over that cowboy back role. I think this wide receiver core could be really good. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've kind of led that hype train all off season. Have we not like as much as they lost, it sounds like they have not just, you know, gained, but potentially, or I'm sorry, they have not just replaced, but they have potentially gained 
from what they lost. And so to to hear you throw out all those names, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what we've been talking about all offseason. And I, I'm to the point where if if Alan Bowman does what he, we think he can, how do you get the ball to all these guys? I, I'm to that point and we haven't played a game yet. Maybe that says more about what color my sunglasses are, but it's the way I feel. So some of some of the guys talking about their teammates, Garrett Rangel said he's really excited about Talon Shetron. So along with along with our insiders, uh, a one of the Cowboy quarterbacks as well. DJ McKinney was asked about the new guys on the whole team, and he called out Dejon Stribling. Has been super impressive. Cabinus has been getting a ton of praise by everybody. He's he said he's been moving all around. So inside, outside, he said he's comfortable in the slot, comfortable outside, comfortable wherever. Coach Dunn wants him to be, and he doesn't really have a preference. I think you'll definitely see him on the field this season. Apparently, Trey Rucker and Blaine Green have been going at it a little bit in practice, so love to see the fire from those two guys. I think Blaine is probably quite a bit bigger than Trey. I would have to go check the roster, but that's, I mean, Trey, go after him if you want to. I, I guess he's not that much smaller. He's six foot two oh seven. So yeah. but it's it's fun to see those guys competing. It's probably all in good fun, but I'm sure it gets a little heated out there. And Casey Dunn has was asked about the receivers and guys standing out, and he mentioned Blaine Green first. So it's so many different names that so many different guys are calling out. And you've been on this kid since the beginning that this receiving core may, may be better than last season. So Rashad Owens is apparently still making plays as well. It's going to be really, really fun to watch these guys. And like you said, it's going to be hard to get them all the ball. Yeah. I, I, and again, that's a, that's a glass half full look. A lot has to happen for Blaine green to gel back into a starting receiver role. Jaden Bray, if he can stay healthy Dejon Stribling to be what we think he can be what he was at Washington state. So the pieces have to come together, but the pieces are absolutely there. And that's what we do in the off season. We, we look at the way the roster is built out currently. And I haven't even talked about Arlen and Bruce haven't even talked about Kale Cavanis. So there's, there's guys available. There's no question. Yeah, as far as tight ends go, Josiah Johnson seems to be the guy, the one. It sounds like he's still kind of working through, getting used to Bowman, getting used to Rangel, getting used to these quarterbacks. I, I don't. I think the routes are there, just making sure the timing's there, the drops, minimizing those. I'm not sure how much they're going to throw it to the tight end this next season. Again, they're making this move, and kind of like we talked about with zone versus gap. I don't think it's going to go from 95% zone to 95% gap in one season or ever. And I don't <laughs> think they're going to go from throwing to the tight end 15 targets all season to 50 targets all season. So I think they'll definitely be used more. You've got Ian Edelf Edenfield and Quentin Stewart also in the mix. And I know Tab Tabry Shetron, Talon's brother, is coming along. But I don't think they're going to be a focal point of the passing game. But you will see them on the field a lot. And I think Josiah Johnson is going to be the guy rolling out there first for the Cowboys. You think they're going to have kind of a, a pass catching tight end and a run blocking tight end. And you're going to be able to spot like which is which based on like personnel groupings and just the fact that they're out there. Or do you think that they're all a little more versatile can do a lot? 
I think they want to get to where the tight end position is more versatile. But to your point, it's a great call out because Coach McIndoo was on with RA a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that Johnson is more of that kind of Blake Jarwin type, yeah, whereas Ian Edenfield yeah. is more like that Zach Veach type. Yeah. So it's kind of right now, I think that's still kind of what they have which goes back to what I was just saying. I don't think it's going to be a night and day change to where right. they're throwing it to, you know, your tight, your Travis Kelsey, like tight end over and over and over again. Not obviously I know nobody's going to be as good as Travis Kelsey at tight end for Oklahoma state right now for sure. But I, it's just, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to set expect- expectations for that tight end position. Yeah, I, I think that's good because a lot of people are asking about it. And it's what is the cowboy back now that it's gone? What does this look like? And uh, I still have questions about it. So, okay, so on the offensive line, the first offensive line that rolled out there at the extreme camp practices was the one, same one that I saw in the spring. Left tackle Cole Birmingham, left guard Jason Brooks, center Joe Maholsky, right guard Preston Wilson right tackle Jake Springfield on day two of the extreme camp practices. Dalton Cooper started rolling out there with the ones at left tackle in place of Cole Birmingham. But there was a lot of rotation on the offensive line, especially as far as ones and twos goes. Jack and Dean was out there at left tackle. Austin Kowecki playing some at center. Apparently, He's also getting used some at guard. I know when Adam Lunt, when we were talking to him, he thought he may be a little undersized for any position besides center, but it sounds like he's getting rotated some at guard. Taylor Materko, who we know started last season, a majority of the games, has been rotating in at guard. The only player who hasn't really been rotating a lot besides getting some blows from the twos is Jake Springfield at right tackle. Wow. He seems to be a guy that's kind of the steady... Offensive lineman, I think Coach Dickey just really likes him at that right tackle spot. I know when we talked about the depth chart last week, I said my ideal offensive line would be Cole Birmingham at left tackle because we played it every game of two seasons ago. And Dalton Cooper at right tackle. It sounds like Jake Springfield is going to be the starting right tackle. And if there's any competition, it's over on the left side between Cole Birmingham and Dalton Cooper. Well, I would say just the fact that Jake Springfield is the guy not rotating in with anybody would be the, you know, the least prevailing opinion that we've had or our questions have been is really what is, you know, everybody that we've at least heard from on this podcast and you and I, we've thought maybe that right tackle spot was the most up for grabs. And that appears to potentially be the the least from the truth. I don't know if that's actually true, but just that fact alone, very interesting there. And man, I, I feel, again, like you have eight deep on the offensive line for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, so as far as run scheme goes, I did see, I heard from multiple people that G, GT counter has been in the mix. So the tackle and the guard pulling, it sounds like they like to pull more from the left side. So your Birmingham, your Brooks, and your Cooper than they do on the other yeah. side with Springfield and Preston Wilson. But obviously, you're going to need to pull from both. Their teams are going to catch on to that. Sounds like power is still in the mix. Maybe some dart with just the tackle pulling. But definitely GT counter was being used. And Kate, what I wanted to call out to you, if you remember a year ago in spring, they didn't even have enough guys for two a uh, two deep on the offensive right. line. 
There's now 16 healthy scholarship players and six walk-ons on the offensive line. Yeah. AD may, maybe I'm selling it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and the, I, I know people are going to say, but the, you know, we weren't that good last year. We had a lot of these same guys going into the beginning of the season though. You have healthy everybody that started last year, along with adding back Cole Birmingham and Dalton Cooper. So that means Taylor Materko, who started every single game last year, is in your two deep. And one of Cole Birmingham and Dalton Cooper is most likely going to be there as well. And I think Dalton Cooper is going to rotate in even if he is a two because I think they're going to work Birmingham back slow. You have to remember he had a major knee injury last year. I don't think he's going to be playing the full 60, 70, 80 snaps against UCA, even against Arizona State and South Alabama, as long as those games aren't close in the end. And even if they are, I could see Birmingham getting getting pulled every three, four series just to kind of get a break and make sure that knee's okay. Yeah, I, I think you're dead on. We talked a little bit about that off air. I would think that he's the guy you know the most about potentially on this offensive line and need to see the least from you just need to keep him healthy. He's critical. I think to this season. And again, as I said, eight deep, it doesn't take a whole lot for this thing to go the way it's gone in the past. If you start to experience some issues up front with health, so it's going to be something to watch. Yeah. And not to, not to lay it on anybody that's left the team, but it sounds like from everything I've heard from some notes from extreme camp, it sounds like, Caleb Etienne no longer being on the team might have been a positive as far as locker room, play on the field, kind of leadership all around. I I think they like the guys that they have now at that left tackle spot a lot more with Dalton Cooper and Cole Birmingham, a lot more than if they were going into the season again with Etienne. So he may have been right to move on. The fact that he got beat out, I, I think there was just not a good, I, I don't know if it was a great culture fit for Etienne. And I don't want to speak out of turn. That's just what I've been told. It sounds like they're in a better spot now at left tackle. Yeah, it it, it is a prevailing thought out of camp right now. So, uh, and it doesn't, um, I mean, it's it's really what we saw on the field last year. I mean, it, this, is, this is probably a good thing for Oklahoma State. Last note, when we leave offensive line, before we leave offensive line, Jake Springfield said the goal, and he didn't, make a big deal out about this or anything. I don't even think it was part of the question he was asked, but the goal for the, for the offense and the offensive line this season is to be the number one rushing team in the big 12. And then he oh. kind of just moved on to his next <laughs> sentence. So Jake Springfield obviously thinks that they can do that because he didn't even make it a big deal. I'll be honest, Dustin, I would take like seventh rushing team in the big 12. I mean, oh. one is great. I would take seven. <laughs> Please remember that you said that for when we get to a question later (laughs) if we have time to get to it. Um, Okay, on to the defense. Caden, unless you had anything else on the offense, I think we hit every position. Yeah, we did. I'm fired up for what this is going to look like, though. I think it's going to be a dynamic offense, and uh, I'm expecting some fireworks, but it may just be a little more ground-and-pound fireworks. Yeah, and some some other names we didn't mention, just real quick on offensive line, just kind of looking at my depth chart. Calvin Harvey. He is the seems to be getting some run as backup right tackle behind Springfield with the twos. I think he's also getting some run at guard as well. Davis Dotson in the mix at guard. Jacoby Sanders, the center from Stillwater, true freshman. I think he's apparently looked really well. He's already one of the strongest guys on the team. And then our guy Villalami, 
I'm not even going to try to say his last name. I've never gotten it right on here. He's also <laughs> in the mix. I think at both tackle and guard as well. So Noah McKinney, I think will be someone we hear about a little bit more next year, the UNLV transfer, but he's still on the team, still battling in fall camp. So all those guys, all those same names, just a lot of names at offensive line, which is a good thing. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that youth, I can't wait to see what happens a year from now, two years down the line. If you've got 20 now, feel like you're going to be 12 deep here in a couple of years. So that's the goal. So as far as defense goes, Cade, I know Gundy keeps talking even front and I know they're going to get to it, but it sounds like they've pretty much exclusively been practicing in the odd three down front, maybe rolling up that Sam linebacker, maybe moving a guy onto the edge from the second level, but a three hand in the ground, three down odd front sounds like the majority of the defense no matter what Gundy wants to say right now, I'm not saying they're never going to base out of even four down. They definitely will over the past several years with both Knowles and Mason, they ran a bunch of different formations and they always kept the offense on their toes, but it sounds like it's been primarily three down. And unlike the offensive line, I do think the defensive line has a little bit of a depth, more of a depth concern. If you were to go four down more religiously, I think there's two pros to this one you're going to be in three down a lot, just being that that's your base set. And then the other part of it is I think you do have a little bit of a depth concern as to who's going to play that that position off of nose tackle. I mean, what what does that look like? Is that Aiden Kelly? We don't really know right now. I think the ends look you feel pretty good about, but I think that that depth behind you know Kirkland, if you were to go into that four set, what does that look like? I, I think that I still have that question. Yeah, no, completely agree. One note I wanted to talk about too before we get into the positions. There's a couple, but the one another main one I wanted to hit. I've just been told everybody loves Nardo. Offense, <laughs> yeah. defense. We see it in the interviews, but it, it's always tough because in the interview, a guy could just be talking up his coach, kind of like a coach talks up the players, coach speak wise, and not always truly believe it. But the consensus around extreme camp is everyone loves Coach Nardo. All the extreme campers love him. He sounds like a really down-to-earth guy doing the film breakdown on him and kind of getting in, to know him through film and reading about his background and everything, watching his coaching sessions on YouTube. I really enjoyed it. So that kind of is in line with my initial thoughts, not actually meeting him. So it's great to hear. And again, one other thing I wanted to get your take on, it sounds like they may have some kind of turnover chain turnover item they're going to be using this year on the sideline. Is I missed this. I mean, is it, what is it? Is it a t-shirt cannon? It sounds like it's going to be some kind of chain lock mechanism oh. device. So we'll kind of see. I don't know if it's going to be orange. I don't know what it look, looks like, but the notes out of Extreme Camp say there's some kind of turnover souvenir. Do you do you think that Mike Gundy had to be convinced that that was a good thing? Like he does not seem like a turnover chain kind of guy. I don't think Mike Gundy even probably knows they're doing it, and they've probably done it right in front of him <laughs> multiple times. That's good. I need my head coach focused on other things, not turnover chains. <laughs> so uh, I, if that doesn't happen, that's just what I was told. But could could be breaking news. Could be could be a straight up lie. Who knows? We should so, we should open up some prop bet lines on what that device is. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of options. They're also, Cade, I think I saw this on Rivals. There was a really funny story. We won't tell the whole story, but the gist of it is, is that Benny Tonga 
was so in on Justin Kirkland from he was tipped off before he even got in the transfer portal, basically, that this is a guy you need to go after. We think he's going to enter. If he does, you need to go after. And he was on time, first guy there. Kansas State, I think, really wanted him. And basically, OSU was not going to let it happen. I, I think they did all but kidnap Justin Kirkland before, <laughs> before he committed. So that was a funny story. I just kind of wanted to point that one out because you and I have heard great things about him, but that makes it even better, the, the stories like that after the fact. I, I saw somebody on Rivals say it reminded them of the Barry Sanders tape, the famous story <laughs> that, the high, that it got hidden. I think that this is a great example of that. Like, is Kirkland not just a guy surrounded in folklore right now? I mean, people, yeah, there I, will be people that walk into Boone Pickens Stadium against Central Arkansas and they're like, who is that? But a lot of people that listen to this podcast are connected on Twitter that they know that there's a guy named Justin Kirkland to look out for, but there will be some people surprised by it. Yeah. And I even was asking everybody that I could that was there to try to find anything kind of negative that on Kirkland. And the the only thing that I've gathered is that just being that centerpiece, that nose tackle in this 335, you have to make sure every time off the ball, you're exploding, using your hands, knocking the center backwards, because that's kind of the basis of of stopping the run in this defense. And it's something he obviously is really good at. We've seen videos already of him exploding through the center, making the, making the tackle on the dummy on the tire. And I think it's just something he's going to have to continue to work on to do it every single snap, every single snap that he's in there. But that literally is the, as far as I could get negative. And I was begging for negative. Wow. Plays too hard, too smart, sometimes too good for his (laughs) own good. Yeah. Um, oh well, that segues us perfectly into defensive line. So we've heard a lot about Kirkland. It sounds like the one defensive line that's been rolling out there was Nathan Latou at kind of that Viper defensive end spot, a mixture of Colin Clay and Justin Kirkland kind of rotating just because that nose tackle position is going to have to rotate. I, I mean, those guys are so big, they're not gonna be able to play every single snap, even though I think Kirkland and Clay both would want to. So a mixture of those two, so I'll call them 1A, 1B. And then Cody Walterscheid at the other defensive end spot, right behind those guys, or right behind at either defensive end spot, is Anthony Goodlow, the Tulsa transfer. I think he's on Latu and Walterscheid's heels. He's definitely going to get some playing time. At nose tackle, Iman Oates has fully recovered from his, I believe it was his hand injury in spring, the practice I was at. He was just on the bike the entire time. He looks to be moving really well in drills. Aiden Kelly, apparently, you know, he's back from his shoulder injury. Another guy I didn't get to see practice in spring. He is apparently a monster. Like, I'm talking about shooting off the ball every single time. That's not a problem for Aiden Kelly. So it's great to see. Hopefully he gets in the mix, in the rotation there. Deshaun Brown, a name we haven't talked about a ton. I think he's kind of the number 2B to Goodlow's 2A, but he's probably more that Nathan Latou Viper spot than the Cody Walterscheid defensive end. But you will see Deshaun Brown on the football field this season. Yeah, and I think another guy that people are just excited to see something out of because he came with a lot of you know excitement, the potential flip to Oklahoma that never happened, a guy that I'm very excited to see and have heard some great things about. 
I don't know what to expect other than I think he's going to play quite a bit. So the the only other name I don't think we've mentioned that I know has made some plays at practice. He's very athletic. Landon Dean. He's a guy that kind of can move all over, like probably play offense too. He's he's just a freak athlete. I know he's been kind of moving around a little bit, making some plays on defense. And of the new incoming guys that we haven't seen, I was told that Ricky Lolahia is just extremely large for a true freshman, <laughs> which we saw him, you know, when they showed his initial 247. And then when you see him on the roster, it's like he gained like 40 pounds or something like that. It was something ridiculous. Oh, wow. So uh, obviously not a surprise to, to hear that he's just a monster. Uh, kid, I don't really have much else on the defensive line. I think this is going to be a committee. I think you're going to see six guys in the rotation, which is something we saw with those Jim Knowles teams rotating guys in and out. If these guys can perform at a high level and you can keep them fresh, I mean, Definitely a nose tackle with Clay and Kirkland. I think that's going to be a great one-two punch, having Goodlow and Walter Scheid. And if you can get Deshaun Brown up to speed and have him be a capable backup to Latou, then he's in the mix as well. I mean, do you – and I love the way you laid that out. Do you have any concern about defensive end? I mean, is that is that something you're wondering about, worried about? I mean, because for I, me, Walter Scheid, Latou, and um, Goodlow on the surface feels okay, but – I, I kind of want to see it to believe it, right? I think my concern just from unknowns, kind of like when we talked about cornerback last season, is depth. Right. I, if if a Walter Scheid or Latou, God forbid, go down, yeah, what, who's behind what Goodlow and Brown? I, I mean, Landon Dean's the only name I've kind of thrown out there. Wow. You've got uh, Israel Isman Hundley, who I think could be in the mix a little bit. I, I know we've seen him a lot in some of these clips that have been posted in the spring and summer, but... I don't know how comfortable I feel with the depth there. Yeah. yeah, that's that's really where my question is. It's like starting line, okay, what what next do you have? So now at nose tackle with Clay, Kirkland, Oates, and Kelly, I think you're fine there. Yeah, <laughs> and I so. and I guess it kind of puts the point I made about going down into a four down. Like that's really not the issue. I guess it's more like do, do you have enough defensive ends to consistently run that i don't know if yeah. you have a personnel issue as much as it is now a you know truly like what are you going to run the most out of and get comfortable with that D yeah do you have enough defensive ends or is somebody going to have to get skinny I, out of those nose tackles that seems like an aggressive diet to get skinny from D <laughs> nose tackle to d end but i i believe glass can do it yeah so we'll see there but i, I love talking about the d line the defense honestly Cade, to me from extreme camp wise and notes and everything like that is more interesting. I think than the offense, just because I think you and I are already so high on I the know. offense and even the offensive line. I'm, I'm <laughs> like ready to say it's like top two in the conference. <laughs> offense. So. so talking about the defensive line and the linebackers, I think is probably my, the most exciting part to me in hearing about these guys. So onto the linebackers, it sounds like Wright, Benson and Martin have all been rotating in at that those starting two linebacker spots. Right. So when I was there in spring, Wright was with the twos. It sounds like he's been making some big hits. I think he blasted the freshman Vahili. I'm sure that was a nice welcome to college football moment. <laughs> Apparently it was like the biggest hit so far fall camp. But he's obviously, he knows the 3-3-5 playing with Joey Gillespie at Tulsa when he was the defensive coordinator there. I think think game one 
you may see him, but I also wouldn't be surprised if you see Nick Martin in that spot game one, just because Gundy's talking about him being the main leader on the team. I think Xavier Benson has that weak side linebacker spot down, which he had last year. And I think behind him, it's Jeff Robertson, who Joe Bob Clements can't stop talking about. So I right. definitely think you'll see Robertson on the field. So we're just sticking to those two and leaving Colin Oliver out for a second. It sounds to me, Cade, and it's another see it to believe it, like running back by committee. I think they're going to rotate these linebackers way more than what we saw last season and way more than what we saw from the Rodriguez Ogbong Vamiga season. Yeah, this is one where it feels like you have a not a wealth of riches, but you have five, I think, that you feel really good about, potentially six. So if you're really that deep, yeah, I don't see any reason why you don't you rotate. And I'm sure with Nardo, you know, kind of a a, a magician, I, I expect that he's going to be a little bit, he's going to just get this like mad scientist, like badge. I can feel it. He's going to have, per, he's going to have packages with, you know, different linebacker groupings. And you may see something with, with Oliver on the field and without Oliver on the field and with right on the field and without. So I'm excited to see what, what it looks like. Cause I really don't know what to expect. Yeah. I, I think he's going to do that same thing. Kid. I, I agree with you. I did want to let you know that Xavier Benson was asked about young guys on the defense. And the first name he brought up was Gabe Brown. Oh, your guy. One Gabe of these Brown, days so. I'm going to be vindicated in that take. <laughs> and I, I think behind the guys that we talked about at those two linebacker spots, I think Gabe Brown's probably one of your next up in line. Chance Clements, Joe Bob's son, the walk-on. I think he does really well. Constantino Borelli, another walk-on. I, I think all those guys have been performing really well. One final, one last note on Jeff Robertson. I forgot about this from the Joe Bob Clements interview. I saw that I had this note down. He said that the foot injury to Jeff Robertson absolutely crushed him, him being mm. Joe Bob Clements. I think Jeff Robertson might have rotated in last season oh, wow. with Benson well, we, if if he wouldn't have been hurt. We talked about him in the offseason, and when that news of an injury came down, it was very disappointing because we had heard that that's a guy that's not just going to play, but maybe a guy to keep an eye on as like surprise you how good he is. Um, that backs up to me, and I'm, I'm excited to see him. Outside of the Colin Oliver, Justin Wright, Xavier Benson, I mean, he's got to be one that I'm pretty fired up about. Yeah, and speaking of Colin Oliver at that Sam linebacker spot, now we can move on to that position. Apparently, they're moving that position all over. It'll be the stand-up edge. It'll be a typical linebacker. You could see it being the overhang in between the slot and the end of the line of scrimmage and maybe even drop back a little bit further in the rover coming up. So moving that Sam all over the place. This is a position, I think, and we've heard some complaints in the past when Oliver was at that Leo spot about taking him off the field. I don't think they're going to take Colin Oliver off the field very much. I think he, I'm talking about rotating the middle linebacker in the weak side, the Mike yep. and the will. I don't think the Sam's going to be rotated very much unless Colin Oliver just needs a breather. I think he's going to be playing a majority of the snaps. I don't want to say he'll be like your Jason Taylor playing every single snap, but I think he's going to right up there with Kendall Daniels, be one of the leaders and Corey black in snaps for this defense. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, Outside of Alan Bowman, my most important player, Alan Bowman, Kendall Daniels, Colin Oliver, my three most important guys to the success of this season. I mean, Colin Oliver coming down from that second level and setting the edge like is going to be a sight to see. And I think he's going to have to stay on the field. Absolutely agree with you. 
Yeah, and behind him, Donnie Stevens, a guy you and I love, I believe Dell City guy. He's behind Colin, Correct. and I think they really like Stevens. I just think that they like Oliver the most yeah, out of anybody. So you think he could end up being the odd man out just based on the not out. I mean, he's gonna play, but out of the five, six that you're really excited about, I think he's the one that we know the least about. Uh, but a, a name that's been thrown around, no question. Yeah. So with the with the extra linebacker spot, obviously you worry about depth there, having three guys out there, but I, I think they've got six guys they feel good about. So I like that. Obviously, you, you don't plan for injuries. I think six guys is a good amount to have going into the season. Yeah, I man, I think you would take that every offseason at the linebacker spot, no doubt. All right, last position group, and then we'll talk a little special teams. Reluctantly, we'll talk a little special teams. Defensive backs, the ones, kid, I don't think it's any surprise. It's Cam Smith, it's Trey Rucker, Kendall Daniels, it's Lear Crawls, it's Corey Black. Those are your guys. Those are going to be your starters. I think this is probably the least shocking starters, right? Out of the position groups. Because even at wide receiver, there could be a battle with Shetron and Stribling. I don't think there's a battle here for the ones. I think those are your guys. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. It feels pretty set. Um, I'm trying to think too, Dustin. Like I'm excited to see Corey Black, but I feel like Cam Smith's about to have a year. I I think he's going to be a guy that, most of the conference doesn't remember played a lot as a freshman and we'll figure it out this year. Like, Oh, he's really good. Robert Allen keeps saying that he was one of the main guys being quote unquote tampered with by other teams. I'm sure Texas wanted a piece. I mean, the way he locked down those receivers in that game, I'm sure. So I'm excited about Cam Smith. I'm excited about the corners behind them. I know I'm saying there's no competition, but DJ McKinney, has apparently looked great. He looked awesome at the practice I was at. Kenneth Harris, the Arkansas State transfer, has looked really good. Hale Smith, you saw him make the uh, Odell Beckham one-handed grab in the Twitter video. He apparently had another pick today. He already has three in fall camp. I think he has more than anybody else. I hope Bowman's not the one throwing those, but we'll we'll take it. (laughs) And then uh, at safety, I'm really excited about Cam Epps. He's a guy I kind of freaked out about after the spring practice. He's like a... LeBron James size at safety for the Cowboys, just a humongous human being. He's looked really good. Nick Session, Ty Williams, love all those guys. DJ McKinney in his interview, uh, just going back to the love for Nardo, he couldn't stop talking about how much he likes Coach Nardo, so that's awesome. And, you know, Kate, I, I don't know how Kendall Daniels isn't going to be on every kind of finalist list for defensive player of the year, safety of the year, defensive back of the year. I just think he's going to have a phenomenal season. It's almost to the point where it's hard to talk about because I just know it's going to happen. Well, and I think the secret is out about Kendall Daniels. I mean, you'll you'll hear guys like Josh Pate bring him up in conversation, like national guys. And I, I, he had a great year last year. Don't get me wrong, but I think what he's going to do this year is going to be something like we have not seen from a defensive back at Oklahoma State since I can't even think of a name. I I really think this is going to be a different type of season, and I think this scheme (laughs) unlocks what makes him great. So I can't wait. Some names we didn't even mention too, Cade. Tywin Ray, our favorite incoming freshman who is there for summer and for the fall now. I saw the pick on Twitter. Yeah. Yes. Lardarius Webb, Jordan Reagan. To Kelvin Beeman, all names who I think are in the mix for kind of the two deep spot. There's a big battle at defensive back. So that's a position I don't think you really have to worry about depth. There's a lot of guys there, very excited about it. 
Okay, that kind of wraps it up besides special teams. Did you have any other notes on offense or defense? No, I don't think so. Um, I think I'm more hesitant about what the defense looks like, but I think that the defense by the end of the year will have improved the most from week one to week 12. I think the offense is going to come in and look good early. I think the defense is going to take some getting used to for all those guys. But I think by week eight, week seven even, this is going to be a pretty good unit. And I think, Dustin, my one take is that the defensive backs are going to be not just good, but really good. I think that they are young and very talented. I agree. And something you got to remember too, Cade, not to get negative, is this is Coach Nardo's first season in major college football. Absolutely. You just got to – there may be some growing pains early, but that's why – you're playing Central Arkansas. You're playing an Arizona State team that's completely revamped. You got two weeks to work up until you play South Alabama. So hopefully that's enough time to kind of get things going as we head into conference play, Iowa State, K-State. But there may be some growing pains, and it's something I think you and I both expect. Yeah, no, 100% my point. Absolutely. Uh, lot, l- l- quick notes on special teams. It sounds like you know Matt Himbro was doing all of the long snapping. It sounds like Zeke, this per Pokes report, Zeke Zaragoza will snap on field goals and extra points. And the freshman, the high school American Shea Frybaum, he's from Scottsdale, Arizona, he'll handle snapping on the punts. Logan Ward is battling, my favorite Logan Ward from uh, Deer Creek yeah. High School, will battle Alex Hale for kicking. I think Hale will probably kick field goals and extra points, and Logan Ward will probably kick off. We saw Logan Ward kick off a lot last season. And I think Thomas Murray, the Temple transfer, is also in the mix there as well. The Australian punter, Hudson Cack, it sounds like he is battling Wes Paul, the Western Kentucky transfer, and it sounds like Paul may be a little bit ahead of him right now. So go America. Uh, (laughs) We're we're always down for American punters. But... uh, uh, yeah, so Hudson Cack, I think that'll be a name you'll maybe – he may punt this season, but it's definitely a name you'll hear going forward because they obviously didn't go get him from Pro Kick Australia for no reason. But you may see West Paul, West Paul back there punting this season. I'll be honest. I thought you said Les Paul for a second, and I, I knew I didn't hear that right. But as a guy with two guitars behind me, I was I was pretty excited and a little concerned about the age. <laughs> that also could have been one of those jokes. But, hey, real no, quick, I love Dustin. that one. Any concern from you going from Tanner Brown to Alex Hale and a scheme on the offensive side that's more predicated on the run, field position, you know, time management? I personally have a little concern about it. I know Alex Hale's done it, but do you feel good about it going into the season? I think Tanner Brown is the most underrated loss on this team. And that's coming from a guy who thinks that kicking shouldn't exist. So (laughs) it's... It's going to be huge. So I agree with you. The one positive to your point, you mentioned Alex Hale's done it. I do think Alex Hale is really good. Before he got hurt, he was really good. If he is completely recovered from injury, I think he'll be really good. And then if it becomes a really, really long field goal that he just doesn't have the leg for anymore, Logan Ward, give him a shot. I mean, we know he's got a powerful leg. So yeah, no, I I think it's one. I agree with you. I think it's an underrated loss and I don't think anybody's talking about it. Yeah, agreed. Uh, two quick notes. Brennan Presley, named to the Blitnikoff Award watch list. No surprise there. I believe the ceremony is on March 9th. 
we won't go into a lot about the Politnikov because you obviously know what that is. Justin Blackman, yeah. only two-time winner. So yeah. big time, big time stuff there. I think Presley's going to have a huge year. I know you think that as well. I think he'll be, as the list gets trimmed, I think you'll continue to see his name on there. Yeah, and I, I one of the things I'm excited about too, he was named to the, we talked about this, the Paul Horning watch list, which is given to the most versatile player. I mean, hand on the ball. I'm I'm just yeah. excited to see what this looks like. Jet sweeps, flea flickers, handoffs out of the backfield. We'll take it. Make him your own table. I think they're going to try to get Presley the ball in multiple different ways. I think he's going to, and I'm not, no shot at Bray, no shot at Stribling, no shot at any of the running backs. I just think Presley is the most dynamic player on their off the offense. I think they're going to try to get him the ball a lot. Every play, the defense is going to be looking, where is 80? There's no question in my mind. I'm, I'm with you. Last note, Cade, OSU left off the top 25 coaches poll for the first time, I believe, since 2019. Wow. That feels like a long... Spencer Sanders' first year? I think so, yeah. So that that was yesterday that USA Today coaches poll came out. Five Big 12 teams on there. Cade, only two teams in the top 25 coaches poll play Oklahoma State this year. And I'm not saying put all your stock into the, these rankings, but Kansas State and OU are the only two ranked teams that Oklahoma State is going to play this year, according to the coaches' poll. Saying six and a half wins is really low <laughs> with this schedule. One all another note that backs up my point about South Alabama being a scary game. Oklahoma State's votes make basically made the, the votes they received from the coaches made them forty third, ranked them forty third out of all the teams. Wow, ranked forty sixth was South Alabama. You've been saying it. I mean, the, I don't think that's going to be a ranked matchup, but I think you're going to have two two and O teams going into that, and I think it's I think it's going to be a a fist fight. I think South Alabama is going to come in with the Central Michigan type of attitude and think that they can win that game. Yeah, they return, and I, I've been kind of looking into the non conference games, watching some film, building some depth charts. South Alabama returns like nineteen of the twenty two. We haven't previewed them defense. But their quarterback and running back both on the Maxwell Award watch list. I mean, that's two more players in Oklahoma State's got. They also, I believe, he transferred in from Florida State another running back. Yeah. So they yeah, have that guy and another guy. Yeah, I, I think I heard it on uh, the Pokes Report podcast talking about how you know it's almost like the way East Mississippi Junior College operated. They would just acquire these Alabama LSU, uh, Mississippi State, not rejects, but they couldn't make it there. Well, where do they want to go? They want to stay close to home. South Alabama is a great option, and they won 10 games last year. I wasn't disagreeing with you about this being a tougher game, but as the season gets closer, it's the one I think I'm most nervous about. I think OSU is going to get up for that game in Tempe. I, I hope they get up for South Alabama. They're going to need to. Yeah, agreed. Two quick recruiting notes. Myale Owaki Smith. The 2024 QB, 6'4", 195 pounds from Junipero Serra High School in San Mateo. Three-star, number 32 QB in the country, rated by 247. Brandon Huffman, 247 Sports National Recruiting Editor, put in a prediction for OSU last week. I, everything I've seen, Cade, it sounds like, you know, we, there was the Tim Rattay tweet. I think Smith has committed. 
and it just hasn't yeah. been made public. I think so too. I, I I have no reason to not believe that at this point. When he officially commits, we will throw a party on here. I will watch some film. This will be a big time get if it happens. BYU obviously still in the mix. I believe both the QBs that BYU has in the class are going on LDS missions. So I think they still really want Smith. But we'll see how it ends up. I think the threat here, just thinking about all angles, Alan Bowman gets another year of eligibility, and all of a sudden you have four guys on scholarship in that quarterback room. You're not going to have four guys on scholarship in that quarterback room. Yeah. I can almost guarantee that. So Agreed. that's the only threat to that. Uh, Jaden Nickens, the 2025 wide receiver from Millwood High School in OKC, four-star. We talked about him last week. He has he did a top eight with Oklahoma State in there, and he has set a commitment date for August 12th. So that we should have an update on that next week. Kate, I think he's going to be OU. I hope not, but that's the way it's been trending. Um, it would be a not a massive, but a huge recruiting win for Oklahoma State to pull him from OU as they're going to the SEC. Oklahoma State's going to the Big 12. That would just be one that would be a confidence builder, but I'm with you. I think he's going to OU. Hey, that's all we have on football. I know we've gone long. I knew that would happen. My apologies. I guess I just like hearing myself talk, which is very I... strange. I like hearing you talk, which is why I just let you roll. And you can go get yourself a hot tea and and cool off those vocal cords. Let me take this one for a quick second. Basketball. I mean, Dustin, I know that you've been waiting on this. And I'm. it's not that I haven't been listening to you. I've been listening intently on every word. But we were waiting for Oklahoma State's first game against Camp Verde uh, in Spain on their kind of European trip to drop on OSU Max. And it did about 30 minutes ago. And I've been catching some highlights as we've been talking. And I think, Dustin, the first thing that I'm going to bring up, one, there's so much worth an OSU Max subscription. But to see a full preseason basketball game this year with this new roster is such a treat. And within the first two minutes, Isaiah Miranda does something uh, (laughs) that might change your opinion on this upcoming basketball season. It's a putback with one hand. Uh, I'll give you that one. And then Connor Dow makes a pickpocket. He picks a pocket, takes it, shoots the three on his own, coast to coast. Two guys that I I can't wait to watch this year. I think Connor Dow is a guy that people are going to be surprised that gets like a lot of playing time. Not surprised if you listen to this podcast or hear Mike Boynton talk, but he's going to be a guy. Honestly, if my daughter gives me any attitude after this podcast. I'm going to be very upset. She needs to just go to bed so I can watch this game. But enough about me. Connor Dow apparently hit four threes in that. I only uh, saw one of them, so I'm excited for the other three. 86-79, I think, was the final score. Larry Reese put out kind of just some quick hitters. He's there with the team. He was actually on with Robert Allen today, too. He's in Spain he said uh, Keon Williams played really well. McBride and Daly looked good, but he specifically said Dow hit four threes. So we'll Kate and I'll double check, Larry, make sure you <laughs> counted that correctly. But yeah, I, Kate, I'm really excited. I know Coach Boynton was talking about the extra scholarship. Our guy Marshall Scott wanted to give him a shout out for asking that question. Absolutely. Sounds like they're still going to be looking to possibly make it 13. Feels a little late now, but. I love that they're on this trip. You've seen the itinerary. They get to 
go to a bull ranch and a skills demonstration demonstration. They get the city tour and then they get to play these pro teams. Yeah. Cape Verde is going to be in the FIBA world cup. I said camp Cape. Yeah. They play in the world cup, like in a month, this is a real basketball team that they're playing guys in their like thirties. So this is a, this is a big win. I mean, don't, don't mistake it. I did want to note, Kate, from the Mike Boynton media session, that happened literally like right after we podcasted last week before they went to Spain. He did say that Mike Marsh had a minor procedure on his shoulder, so he's not been like fully participating, but he will be ready to go for the season. But that's something you, I don't think you and I knew about, no, so I wanted no. to kind of mention that. And I'm excited to watch Hicklin in this game because Mike Boynton was talking about how impressive he's been in practice as a shooter some some quick thoughts they had him coming up the court with the ball quite a bit which i was curious to see because javon small uh unlike a point guard oklahoma state has had in quite some time and it it pops like that but the question was who's who else is going to handle the ball was it bryce thompson jarius hicklin got a lot of run uh bringing the ball up so i wasn't blown away with his shooting ability but i i think He's long. He's athletic. Um, man, I, I think this team is shockingly athletic. And Brandon Garrison does some good things, does some really bad things too. And I think that's going to be the way that this season starts and hopefully doesn't end. But I think I think it's going to be, you know, one week you're going to see just some explosions offensively. And then the, the weak game is going to look totally different. But you've got a bunch of freshmen out there. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and the girls are doing really well. They're in Greece and Italy. I think they beat somebody like 115 to 66 or something like that today in Greece. So just all around Oklahoma state basketball dominating all the international teams. So again, go America. Yeah. I know some people on that trip, shout out to the uh, family friends of the pod uh, who are on that trip with the cowgirls. So I've been following along as well with that. Hey, since we went long, and if you don't have anything else on basketball, do you want to just hit a couple more questions and we'll wrap up? I think we have to because we we got long-winded, but I think that's great. The only roundup thing I just wanted to mention, because we talk softball on here, but we don't even need to talk about it because we talked about the possibility of this happening right when she entered the portal, and I don't even really want to talk about it anymore. Kelly Maxwell to OU, I don't, I don't really have any thoughts. I am going... I know it's petty of me, but this is the OSU fan of me. I think that completely tarnishes her OSU career as far as I'm concerned as a fan. And when I think about the all-time greats up there with your Michelle Michelle Smiths, I'm not going to put Kelly Maxwell up there because I'm going to try to wipe that out of my memory after the transfer to OU. They didn't transfer. They didn't transfer to your arch nemesis. And I wonder what this looks like when they go to the SEC, but I don't feel any differently about it. Frankly, I'm a little shocked. I feel like I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on. I think a little bit of collusion on this and not tampering. But did you notice how there was like hardly any reporting about this? It just happened and everybody just kind of like accepted it. And nobody really reported on it. No columns written. No uh, waxing poetics from your daily Oklahoman. Uh, collusion. Yeah, don't like it. And that's, unless we have to because of a game, that'll be the last we talk about it. Mark unless I words. get mad at the media again, which I yes. will absolutely talk about that on this podcast. 
and I'm sure we'll accidentally talk about it again because we always lie on here. But <laughs> softball season. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to questions. We hit some already. We'll knock out a few and then we'll have to wrap up because uh, apologies for going so long on football. That was fantastic. We just got though. too hyped. So Brian Metcalf at Brian J. Metcalf. I like this question, Cade. And thanks for sending it, Brian. The average in the Casey Dunn era as offensive coordinator, rushing yards per game is 167, with passing yards being 250 per game. That's So that's since 2020. If we set the over-under at these points, where are you putting your hard-earned dollars? Kid, let me... But I want you to answer first, at least for rushing yards per game. So he's setting it at 167. Since 2010... They've only gone over 175 six times. In the 2011 season, they were only at 158.6. Last season was terrible, 125.5. But 2015, I'm just giving you some stats before you make this. I'm trying to help you. 2015, <laughs> when they went 10 and 3, 126.5 per game. So it doesn't always correlate exactly to a successful Oklahoma State season. If they have a good passing game, which I think they will this season with Bowman. So give me your over under on 167 and then I'll give you mine. But I wanted that. I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of leading you somewhere if you catch my trip. Well, I'm taking the over. I mean, I personally going to take the over because I think that they're going to have to. I mean, this is going to be, I, I've said ground and pound. That's probably putting it too simply and uh, maybe too, uh, um, aggressively towards the way they're going to run the football. But I, I would actually put it closer to like, they're going to want to run for over 178, 180 yards a game. I I would wonder what Mike Gundy's number is. Cause I'm, I absolutely think that they need to take the over on that. No, that that's actually really close to my answer. I said like 175. Yeah. So I was going like yeah. barely over. And the reason when you said seventh in the big 12 in rushing, you'd be okay <laughs> with that. If they were at 175, that would have put them in that sixth, seventh range last season as opposed to ninth. But there was a huge drop off from eighth to ninth and then tenth last season. So Oklahoma State was ninth, but that there was like a 40 yard gap there. So if they go into that 175 range, that's a 50 yard per game increase year over year, which is pretty significant. But I think 175 is doable. That would have put them, you know, fifth, sixth in 2021 and in the fourth, fifth range in 2020. They were fourth in 2020 and they were fifth in 2021. So I think that's more in line with OSU teams of the past. The only thing for me is some of those years where they've gone above 180 were years where they had your Jalen Warren, your Justice Hill, your Chuba Hubbards. And I don't think Personally, they have a guy of that caliber on the roster right now. So it's going to be have to be a committee type thing, which they have done. They've gotten above 170 in a, in a committee type of uh, team some of those years. So we'll see if they can do it. I'm going to go over, but all that to say, I think it's going to be kind of not that far over 167. I think like 175 is a good spot. Yeah, I mean, if they run for 180 yards a game, I, I mean, I'd, I'd jump out of my chair if I knew that yeah. going into the season because I feel like that that puts you at nine wins if you can run the football that effectively. Now, the 250 passing, they're going over that. Yeah, I, have, I think I there was out. there was only in that same time period, 2010 to 20, let's say to 2018, so before Spencer Sanders, 
there were only two seasons where they were below 300 yards per game passing. One was the Dax Garmin season in 2014, and the other was when Chelf and Walsh kind of split in 2013. So I think they're going to be closer to 270, 275. And honestly, if Bowman stays healthy, I think they could be 280, 285. I just think they're going to try to run the ball more. So if you're at that 275, 175 rushing and passing, I think you're pretty good. Honestly, I've I've said this before. I still believe it. If if Alan Bowman just has a Clint Shelf like season, OSU's going to be really good offensively. I mean, that's yeah. that's not really even simplifying what Clint Shelf did. It's more like I think that Oklahoma State needs that type of decision maker at quarterback this season. I think they've got it in Alan Bowman. I think it's just putting the pieces together and actually doing it. All right, uh, we'll do one more. Randall Dryden, our buddy at Randy V, that's me. He says, who's going to start, get the start at middle linebacker, Justin Wright or Nick Martin? Basically, just talk about the linebacker core. I'm ready to get hurt again. <laughs> so we talked about the linebacker core a lot. So I'm just going to no, no analysis, pick somebody for game one. I think I'm going to actually go Nick Martin. Oh, wow. I'll take it. I'll go with you. I'll go with Nick Martin. I think that's a great pick. Wouldn't be surprised if it's Justin Wright, though. And I know we, we had a few more questions. I think we actually hit a good chunk of them. We'll try to do some more next week. This week was obviously going to be long because we had a ton of notes from friends that were at Extreme Camp. Shout out to those guys. We'll probably talk a little depth chart and what our thoughts are next week or the next week. So we'll do some more kind of preview stuff. But, Kate, I, I think that's all I've got. Dustin, that was a fun one, man. I've been waiting to, and I know our listeners have too. We've had so many, you know, what's your expectation on, you know, linebacker? What's your two deep at the running back spot, at the offensive line spot? So this podcast, taking the time to lay it all out there, hopefully sets you up, the listener, to to have some expectations headed into the season. So Dustin, thank you, because I know that's a lot of work and appreciate you laying it out the way you did and letting me just have my thoughts about it because I, I think it's going <laughs> to be a lot of fun. And um, I'll come next week probably as I've decompressed and heard you say this. I, I won't get hot takey, but um, I just I, I think that this is going to be a good season for Oklahoma State. And you and I have been steadfast in over six and a half, over even potentially eight. I, I don't feel any reason to change that right now. And um, maybe week one goes poorly and we can talk about it after, but I don't think that that's going to be the case. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Apologies to the listeners for how much I no. talked. I felt, I felt like we had to cover those notes. It Do was a good apologize. time. Cade, thanks for letting us go through it. Obviously excited about Cowboy basketball. We might watch that game as soon as tonight and give yep. some thoughts on that next week. So it'll be a lot of fun. A lot of stuff going on even in the off season. I just uh I just called my t shirt vendor and my my NIL contact to get in touch with Isaiah Miranda. I got to print the shirts. I'm ready. All right, Dustin, you enjoy that game, sir. Appreciate you as always. If you're not already you you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and threads at feels like 45 pod. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. We're two weeks from football. See you then. Go Pokes.